and welcome. Hello, hello. Glad you could be here. Welcome. Hello. Are we live yet? There we are. Welcome, guys. Glad you could be here. I'm Dan, your friendly fishmonger from dancefish.com, and I'm glad to be here with you. We do this every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. That's 9 Eastern for those that don't know where the mountains are. And uh, yeah, I'm glad to like chill out a little bit. It's been a busy few days, so it's nice to chill out, talk some fish. So what we're going to do tonight for those that might be new is we're going to start with a shipping report, tell you how the shipments went, see if there were any losses, any complications, any issues, fill you in on all of that stuff. We're going to get to a giveaway. We have a really neat fish that's very uncommon today that I'm, I'm hoping will pique some people's interest because it's not one that I think you'll ever find at a pet store or most online stores for that matter. So I'm going to talk to you about the clipper barb out of Africa. That's our giveaway tonight. And then besides that, we'll give you some updates on what's going on at Dan's Fish, uh, maybe a tad about the warehouse build and where we stand on that and the other things happening. Then we'll get to your questions and comments. So if you want to know how to keep fish, how to raise fish, how to breed fish, how to build a fish room, how to set up an aquarium, um, I don't know, anything fish related, ask away. If I can answer, I'll tell you. If I can't, I'll tell you. Most things I think I can answer, but every now and then I get something I'm like, hmm. I try to only answer if I either have direct experience or uh, have a real close relationship with direct experience. So if, if like a close friend kept a fish and I observed their process with that fish, but I never kept it myself, I'll probably have a little bit to say, but if, if I've never kept it or seen it and don't have a clue, I'll let you know. So we try to keep it upfront and honest here so that you can have confidence in the answers you're getting. Um, anyway, without further ado, let's go ahead and get right to the giveaway. Oh, there is one other thing I want to say. I've got a fan down here because it's been beastly hot for the last few days. Um, so if the fan is is messing with the audio, would you let me know? And if it is, I can move it or adjust it or turn it off. I just want to make sure that you aren't getting this big wind sound in the microphone. I think I screened it off okay. But please let me know if it's all right. Um, yeah, I'd hate to, <laughs> I'd hate to go... Oh, that's funny. <laughs> I'd hate to go like half an hour and then people be like, hey, we can't hear anything. Orange cones, I'm thinking up a good plant question for you. <laughs> yeah, that's where my, my knowledge ends. I don't know much about plants. You sound great. No issue with the fan. Okay, excellent, because now I can stay nice and cool while we talk. It sounds good. All right, I guess we're okay. Good to know. Shipping report. So I have some great news and some better news. Um, the great news is no issues. Since we talked to you last, everything's doing fine. Even with this heat, there's been a, this is the first week we started needing to use heat packs. One place I shipped to this week was 106. So playing the heat pack game. And I'll talk about that. I guess right now, this is a good time. So it's tricky sometimes. For example, I think there's a place we're sending to um, tomorrow. We'll send some fish out and they'll get there Friday. And the Friday temperature for the place we're sending is over 100 is the high and like 67, 68 is the low. So it's like, hmm, so I could put a cold pack in there and risk. Hang on, I'm going to shut the door because um, there's some folks doing dishes upstairs and it's tinkling china just one second 
Okay, now 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 we'll have a little less uh, restaurant sounds. Um, anyway, so what do you do there? If you put in a cold pack, it's sixty-seven degrees. Let's say the cold pack lowers the temperature ten to fifteen degrees. Well, that's down in the fifties, right? That's too cold. If you don't put in a cold pack. It might get too high. So it's this kind of tricky thing. And what I do basically is I take the average and look at that. <coughs> and the also thing, the other thing I consider also is when will the package be delivered? So is this an area that's way off the beaten path and the package isn't going to get there till five, six, seven in the evening when it's closer to the above 100 degree temperature, right? When it's hot. Or is this package likely to get there in the morning? That helps guide my, my decision. Now, the other thing that's nice is if you use nice, thick styrofoam insulation like we do, um, the outside temperature doesn't affect the inside temperature very quickly. So if it's 106 outside, it's going to take quite a while before the thermal mass um, water is a, a very temperature stable molecule. It's got a high specific heat and it takes a lot of energy to raise the temperature of water. So with the insulation in a box being full of fish in water, that's kind of to our benefit. So if it's 106 degrees outside, it's going to take quite a while for that box to climb up in temperature. Hopefully it's not, you know, right on your porch in the sun. <laughs> Let's not bake them. But th those are the kinds of things to consider though. What's the average temperature? When's it likely to get there? And how good is your insulation? And that'll help kind of guide the heat pack or cold pack situ uh, decision. Right now, of course, it's cold pack decisions. So that's what we've been going through. So far, we've chosen right. Everything's got where it's going alive and in good shape from all reports. The better news is that a week or two ago, we had a, a slight issue where we sent out a, a barb, a group of barbs, and one of them were like, ooh, the, the customer was concerned. I'm glad to say that I got an email, I think the next day, and the customer was like, can't even tell them apart now, it's doing great. So I, I think everything's going fine there. So yay, <laughs> we didn't have to report, you know, some kind of death or problem that continued for fish that arrived and was like, maybe going to be okay, but maybe not. Usually everything arrives and it's like, oh, this is great. But every now and then one arrives and it's like, hmm, this could go either way. This went our way. So I'm happy to report that, which means if I'm remembering correctly, we haven't had a DOA in like it could be three months at this point, maybe more. So it's going well. As we hit this really hot season, though, um, you know, we're going to do our best. And, and I'll tell you every week how it's going. Uh, we, we try really hard to make everything OK, and I think we will be. But something that will help with that is if you order fish from us and receive fish, if you could let us know if they arrive in good shape or not. And when you do that, if you could let us know the temperature, if there's a way for you to check the temperature of the water in the box when you first open it, that'll help us as we try to calibrate um, the use of cold packs, when to use them, when not to use them. Because sometimes it's tricky. There can be, like I said, there's one place we're sending that's going to be over 100 in the highs and in the 60s and the lows. What do you do, right? So I tend to air on the side of a little cooler than a little hot, like fish can 
it's better for a fish to get a little chilly than to just get, you know, super hot and lose oxygen saturation in the water and all those problems. So that's kind of how we lean when we have a choice to make. But your feedback is greatly appreciated. And, and all of you that do let us know um, how the stuff arrives, if there's a problem, if everything's good, and especially what the temperature was. Uh, we thank you. All that information has been great as we're going through this journey. So that's the shipping report. The next thing to talk about is the giveaway. So this is the fish it's from the Entromeus um, genus. I think it's Calypterus, the clipper barb. However, the bag came totally unlabeled. So I've, I've shared this out to like an African fish group and a barb group, so I printed group. And based on what they've said and what I can see, we're guessing it's the clipper barb, which is this one. Now, they have like other barbs in here too. So great representation. This is what the fish pretty much looks like. It has this dark lateral line, a little color on the fins, dark tips on the scales for contrast against a silver body. They grow to about three inches, maybe three and a half inches, but they're not, often when we think of barbs, we think of like, you know, tiger barbs and other aggressive fish. These are peaceful. So they're a larger fish at three inches or so than, than say, you know, I don't know, a lot of the cherry barbs and jay barbs and, and things like that, but they're not aggressive at all. I have them in with some endlers. They're not bothering them. There's also some rainbows in there. No one's bothering anyone. There's a pleco in there. No one's picking on anyone. Everyone's getting along just fine. And from what I've been able to find online, which is not much, this is not a very common fish, but from, from what, able, what I have been able to find, um, the, the literature concurs that they're pretty darn peaceful. So, oh, and I haven't shared this. <laughs> so, or was I sharing it? I can't remember if I shared this or not. So this is the one that, uh, as I was going through these pictures before the stream, that I think is a pretty darn good, accurate representation of the fish. This is decent as well. Although they tend to be a little deeper bodied than that kind of, but this could just be a young one or something. Um, this is, that's a fairly good representation as well. So that is the fish on the giveaway. So if you're looking for a fish that's a little larger, like maybe you have some rainbow fish or maybe you have, you know, something that isn't itty bitty and you want a nice community fish that's unique, hard to find and um, won't be a problem, won't be super aggressive or anything, then this might be a good choice for you. So if you would like to be entered to win some of these African clipper barbs, the hashtag is hashtag Clipper, C-L-I-P-P-E-R. Just enter that in the chat, hashtag Clipper, and it, later on in the stream, we'll see who won. Um, and, and that's about all I know about them. I just haven't, I don't, I've, you don't ever see them. They just kind of showed up randomly in my shipment from Nigeria. Bag was unlabeled. I didn't order them, so it took me quite a while to figure out what the heck they were. <laughs> so um, they're from the uh, Entromeus genus. I'm positive. Calypterus, probably. They might be a closely related species, but um, 
Clipdris is our best guess. All right. With that, let's give you some um, just a, a little update on what's going on with the warehouse and such. So dirt is being moved. They've started clearing the space. Um, if you've been following us on Instagram or Facebook, you've seen some pictures of that. That's kind of the biggest news. <laughs> the other stuff is, you know, all the big filtration units are still on order. It's going to take several weeks for those to get built and sent to us. Um, we are working really hard on getting a website up and running and functional and um, nice and presentable and debugged as much as possible to handle the uh, volume we hope to sell when we open the warehouse in a few months. So Jonathan's been hard at work coding and we, we think it'll be a, a good move. We'll still have uh, our store and get gills as well, but we decided we need a standalone website where we can kind of tell our story. So get gills works. If you already know Dan's fish, like if you follow us on YouTube or on social media and you kind of already know who we are, but um, Get Gills wasn't built to be a standalone site where you can do a lot more than kind of sell your fish and say, here's our policies related to selling, right? It's really good for that. And for, I think for hobbyists selling fish, it's a great place to do it. But we want somewhere where we can really dig in. Um, we have a newsletter. We like to be able to have a place we can store the newsletter and folks can read it. Um, and decide if they want to join the newsletter or not. Different things like that. So it's just a, a way to tell our story better. So we're working on that really hard. And Chris is working really hard on Sunday's video. I think this will be our best one yet. Now that Jonathan's here, there's a little more action. And also, Jonathan's been able to help with packing the fish and bagging the fish and things, which has freed me up a bit to really dig in and... and um, work with Chris on the videos. Chris is doing a great job, but my background is storytelling. So I come from the theater. Um, one of my main things to do was produce new plays. So what that means is you would talk to a playwright who had an idea for a play or just had a first draft and you would work with them to hash out the story, get the play. Um, I guess you could call it worthy of the stage or ready for an audience. And then you'd perform in front of an audience, make sure that it worked like you thought it would <laughs> and move on. So we're kind of bringing that skill set and working with Chris to, to, for this next video. This will be the first one I've really had time to, to storyboard with him and work out with him. So give it a gander. It'll come out um, this Sunday at 1 p.m. It'll be quite a lot different than the previous videos because you don't just have me sitting in a chair talking about what we're doing now. Now that we have some more people and we're able to focus more on it, it's, it's a little more interesting, I think, than just watching me talk. You'll see us do more than talk, which is kind of cool. So check that out. So working on all that stuff, still working on hires. If you haven't heard from us yet, just be patient. We're, we're getting through it. Um, as I find half an hour here and there, I pick up the phone and start calling but we still got a few to work through. So we're working on that. So that's kind of the update there. It's not kind of the update there. That is the update there. <laughs> you are now up to date and, oh, you can see Jonathan's work. That's funny. So check this out, this reflection in the tank. 
this is his uh, backlog and sprint board. So it, if you've ever worked with software engineers this is, or, or seen Silicon Valley, maybe this is how they keep track of everything they're doing, all the little bits. So you can see right there in the reflection of the tank, I just noticed. All right, let's get to uh, questions and comments. So I'm going to scroll up, see what I can do to interact with you guys. If you have a question or comment, please leave it. Um, I will say, let's make it easy on the moderators. And thanks to the mods, they do an awesome job every week. Let's make it easy on them and just post your question or comment once. If you know that I passed it and accidentally skipped it, because sometimes that happens, never on purpose, but sometimes chat jumps and I can't find it or, or see it. Um, if you know that's happened, then feel free to list it again. But don't just be like listing it every few minutes and spamming the chat. That makes it hard on the mods. And it doesn't get your question or comment answered any quicker. I just go up to the top and scroll down. Also, if you would make it at Dan's Fish, so you type the at symbol and start typing Dan's Fish, and select Dan's Fish when it pops up, then this bright orange box will appear. And that's what I look for as I'm scrolling up and down on the chat. When I'm looking for questions and comments, I'm just looking for these bright orange boxes. That is what I respond to. So that's how we manage chat here. Um, and thanks again to my amazing moderators for helping in that effort. I appreciate you very, very much. With that, the first one I can see is RB Animals Rescue. Oh, just saying hi to everybody. Well, hey, right back. Kelly Foreman, it sounds good. All right, yep. Let me know the sound was good when I asked. <laughs> the fishy mailman, sound is fine, or I'm delusional from the heat the last few days. Yeah, me too. Could be either or, right? <laughs> it has been unseasonably warm here up in the mountains of Wyoming, for sure. Planted tanks. I have a koi catfish that has whitish tint on parts of her. It's definitely not normal for her or any of my quarries. Any idea what it could be? Yes. Unfortunately, it could be lots and lots of different things. So this is one of the issues with trying to figure out what's wrong with our fish is we see what presents. In this case, what's presenting is a whitish tint. But often what presents is not definitive enough for us to identify the cause, right? So that's where it gets real tricky. So there's lots of things that could be, um, in fact, like, like many, many, many things. And it's kind of impossible to, to say from that description, or even if I had a clear picture, unless it's a, one of very few things like ick or velvet or some other things that you can see and pretty much, you know, 95% identify because they're pretty specific how they present. If it's not one of those things, then the possibilities are, are wide open. Could be viral, could be a parasite, could be a simple injury, could be bacterial, and there's honestly no way to know. So what I would suggest in a case like that, <clears throat> excuse me, is a couple things. I think too often what we do is we really want to help our fish understandably. Of course, of course we do. And we feel better if we have a direction to go to treat the fish, right? Even if it's the wrong direction, just something to doing something feels good to us. But often that hurts the fish. So often what we'll do is we'll go on Facebook or whatever and say, hey, my fish has this thing. And someone, we don't know their qualifications. We don't know what they know. But someone will say, oh, it's this. And we'll be like, good. I have something to focus on. I can dig in and treat that thing. 
but 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 that's a but we don't know for sure that's what it is it's just we need something so we latch on to something that we get and we dig in and treat that even if that's not what it is and what can happen is for treating the wrong thing we can actually stress the fish out so much by that treatment that we make it worse not only are we not treating the actual issue but we're adding medicines that stress the fish's system. Their liver and or kidneys have to metabolize these medicines. Um, we might be affecting the environment. We might be killing off um, the biome, different parts of the biome in the tank, which are going to cause stress on the fish as they decompose in the tank, things like this. So instead of jumping straight to medicines in your Let's say this is in a nice show tank. Your fish is doing poorly. I don't know your exact situation, planted tanks, but um, let's say that it's a nice planted show tank. A couple things to do before we jump to medicine or anything. We know something's wrong. We don't know what it is. Let's say we don't have a fish vet in our town that we can take it to, or that's just not an option for some reason. Most places don't have fish vets, so we're kind of on our own. It's, it's a tough part of the hobby. It's one of the places we need to improve. Well, the first thing is, let's see if we can identify a stressor, right? Because often, I mean, if it's a blatant injury or something, then, you know, stress didn't cause that. But often when fish present with a problem, it's after quite a bit of stress. Like they've been worn down by something and now they can't. And now their, their system just is no longer able to fight this thing off. And so it presents. But it's probably been a problem for quite some time and just not presented yet. So if we can find that stressor, I think that's the most important thing. Um, often when I get asked this question, I just jump straight to medicines and I'll get there. But, and, and by the way, big caveat, big disclaimer, I'm not a veterinarian. I, I, I not qualified to like take a fish, diagnose it and treat it in any way. But I'm just a hobbyist who, um, who deals with a lot of fish and tries really hard to make them better with my limited knowledge. So let me tell you what I would do and share with you what I think I know, but uh, please realize I'm not any kind of medical expert. So anyway, if you can identify the stressor first and foremost, is there a fish that's just picking on that guy? Is he like off in the corner trying to shelter from a bully all the time? Or this is a quarry. Is it a fish that's alone and should be in a group and is just scared all the time? It doesn't feel comfortable. If that's the case, maybe we need to get more fish in the tank with them. So what's the social situation basically? What are the parameters? Um, is ammonia fine? Is nitrite fine? Is nitrate over the <laughs> way, way high? Um, has there been some kind of crash, new tank syndrome or old tank syndrome in the tank going on? So checking the parameters out. Any wild swings? Um, has your municipality recently changed how it's treating the water or done some kind of flush to the system to flush out the pipes and now all those chemicals are in your tank and you don't know it, but it's stressing your, your fish out. If you call your municipality and ask them, been any changes in the last two weeks? Um, you know they'll usually talk to you. At least, well, I haven't lived in every municipality, but usually they're like, what, someone's calling and wanting to know about the water? This never works, this never happens, I mean. This is amazing, let me geek out about water with this person. That's been my experience. So 
looking for stressors and trying to eliminate them. Is the temperature okay? Um, all those things, right? Is it getting a balanced diet? Is the food we're feeding fresh and actually nutritious? Or is it old and stale and, and kind of lacking in nutrition at this point and should be, should be changed? All those things, right? If we go through and we can't identify, and we, if we can identify the stressor, then if we can change that, hopefully if we can change it early enough, then the fish without that stress, their immune system can kick back in and they can do what organisms do naturally and fight it off over time and get better, hopefully. Okay, but let's say we can't find a stressor or things are far enough gone. Like, I don't know how bad is this whitish spot? Is it like a whitish spot that's eating away part of the fish? Is it just a tiny little discoloration? Like, I, I don't have that context. But let's say that it's bad enough that we're like, look, if we don't treat this soon, this is, this is not something the fish is going to heal from by itself, even if it doesn't have any stress without help. So here's how I treat those things um, generally. I would highly, highly recommend a hospital tank, a, a, a non-bioactive tank off by itself, no plants, no filter, just a hospital tank, bare glass, maybe painted on the bottom or in the side so the fish isn't like, you know, a bird trying to get through a window. Um, just an air stone in there. Never feed in this hospital tank. You're, you're trying to keep it as free of... It's the opposite of an aquarium normally. Normally in an aquarium, we want to establish an ecosystem full of all kinds of critters and balance and stuff to so that everything's, it's just like a, a river outdoors, right? It's full of little critters and bacteria and protozoans and, and plants and things that keep everything in balance. It's this big living community that harmonizes together. In a hospital tank, you don't want that because we need to be able in a hospital tank to change parameters rapidly if we need to, to suit a fish before we put it in or use medicines that will wipe out big sections of the biome and create problems when those die off and, and rot in the tank. So generally, if I think it might be a parasite, I think the best thing to do is move Okay, so there's two things here, and I go back and forth, and you've probably heard, if you've been on this live stream a while or seen a lot of my videos, you've probably heard me say it both ways. It might be like, well, Dan, which is it? There's two thoughts here. If it's a parasite, like an external parasite, or even some of the internal ones, and you can treat it with a formalin-based ick treatment, like ickx or, or quick cure, um, metronidazole, praziquantel, things like that, those don't kill your nitrifying bacteria. So maybe, <coughs> there's so many nuances to this, but I'm just gonna rant it all out, get it all out there in one go uh, before I move on, because these are questions we get a lot, and, and I think this will be useful. Okay, so here's the, here's the, the deciding thing we have to figure out. Will the fish be less stressed if we leave it in this tank where it's used to being, right? Maybe there's plants in there and all that stuff. Yes, if we move it to a hospital tank, that's a stressful event. But the question is, if we treat in this established aquarium, is there is that going to create a shock event to the system which will put even more stress on the fish than if we had moved it to a hospital tank 
So you have these two possible stressful events. Which one's going to be better for the fish? The risk is if we treat, even with something like just ICAX or general cure, uh, you know, metroprosy, that kind of stuff. If we treat that in an established aquarium, then we're likely to kill off lots of protozoans, lots of little microorganisms, and the tank will go out of balance on you. And when those die and rot, you can have an ammonia spike in the tank. <clears throat> so depending on how you keep tanks, sometimes you may want to treat in that tank because there's not a whole lot of uh, biome going on. Or maybe you're like, no, dude, this tank is full of mulm. Um, I, I let the plants. Sorry, my, my throat is itchy. <coughs> Pardon me, folks. <laughs> I let the plants do everything. I never change the water and stuff is built up in there. And there's these layers of microorganisms keeping everything in check. You don't want to treat in there. Definitely move to a hospital tank, even though that's stressful moving it. That's less stressful than killing off this ecosystem or large sections of it and having the fish go through the ramifications of that. Okay. So that's, that's the kind of decision we have to make. Let's say we choose to move the fish to a hospital tank. Often that's the best case. If we think it's a parasite, I would start with, you know, the, the general ones. Formalin and prosy can treat a heck of a lot of stuff if it's external. Um, Metro helps with some of the internal protozoans and things. So it, there's levamisol if you think it has worms, um, different things, right? Those are the reason to start with those if that's what you think it is. In this case, maybe not. This is a whitish tint, but it could be. It could be a population of external parasites that are grouped in one area. Um, I forget the name of them, but there's one kind that like anchors onto the fish and has like a stem that comes off and they don't actually eat on the fish. They eat stuff in the water around the fish, but when they anchor onto the fish, they damage the tissue where they anchor in and you can get a population in a, in a fairly confined zone um, of these things whose name I forget. I think it starts with an E. I'd have to, I'd have to dig back in. I forget the name of them. Um, but anyway, the reason to start there is because those medications are, are maybe the ramifications of them are less severe, perhaps. Um, antibiotics are tricky. So let's start there if we think it's a protozoan. If we don't think it's a protozoan, we think it's a bacteria. And I guess we're doing our best to guess here. Unless we have microscopes and we're good at identifying stuff. Honestly, this is just us guessing. We're not veterinarians, right? Then my go-to is canamycin and nitrofurazone used together in the tank. With all these treatments, I like to put salt in the water as well for all species, coris, plecos, mamirids, loaches, all the fish they tell you don't use salt, I use salt. Just dissolve it before you put the fish in so you don't get a pile of salt on the bottom where a loach or a catfish is going to go and get a, a big whack of salt in its system, right? Dissolve it thoroughly before you put the fish in. In my experience, you'll be fine. Every fish I ship has five grams of salt per liter in the water. Everyone, even the ones that they tell you don't use salt with, and it works great. So salt really helps sick fish. Um, it helps them conserve their energy to fight the disease rather than use their energy to try to maintain osmotic 
homeostasis. Okay. So that's how I would go through it. Um, now the issue is since we don't know exactly what it is, is it a gram positive bacteria or gram negative? We don't know. The reason I use canamycin and nitrofurazone to begin with is because the majority of bacterial infections we get in fish are created by gram negative bacteria. And that's that, that I'm fairly confident of because I've done research into that. And there's scholarly papers and studies that have been published that state that. Now, a new study could come out that finds something different. But as far as I know today, that's the route to go. So columnaris and aeromonas are the two most common bacteria causing disease in fish. According to what I've read, several studies um, and, and not like just someone on Facebook said it or something. These are scholarly peer-reviewed published studies. The second one is streptococcus. Now that's a gram positive bacteria. And so canamycin and nitrofurazone won't work on it. But I start with the canamycin and nitrofurazone because it's more likely, I have a better chance that those will work on it. If those don't work on it, then you have to remove all those medicines. Um, you can do some charcoal filtration. You can do a large water change, whatever you have to do. Get that out of there. <laughs> Start with a fresh batch of water, whatever you have to do, right? And then you could switch to something like triple sulfa or erythromycin, things that can take care of gram-positive bacteria. So it's this whole process of here's my choices. Which one do I think is going to be the most likely to have the desired result? We try that. Maybe it doesn't work, but we think it's the most likely, so that's the one we do, right? Maybe it's just take take away the stressors. Fish recovers over time. Maybe it's like, nope, we got to do something. I think it's going to be less stressful if I move it to a hospital tank, so we do that. Or maybe not. Maybe we think it's going to be less stressful to keep it in our community aquarium, depending on how we keep our fish. So there's all these little decisions. So I would say that without being able to actually pinpoint the cause of the problem, all we're seeing is the, the symptom, the presentation. Like if you had a cough, it could be you just have a little cold virus. It could be you have a bacterial infection in your lungs. It could be that, you know, there's all these different things that could be causing the cough. But all we know is the fish is coughing, right? It's, it's got a white patch on it. Um, and without being able to pinpoint it, which is hobbyists, I certainly can't. I hope to get there. I'd like to get that training, but I, I certainly can't do that. So it's just an odds game. I think this is going to be the least stressful thing on the fish and have the most likely positive result. We try that. If it doesn't work, after we've given it enough time to judge if it actually will work, not just like a few hours or a day or whatever, right? Um, then we maybe scrap that and try the next best thing that we think has the best chance of helping the fish. Often... It's removing the stressors and letting the fish chill out and its natural immune system get back up to speed and take hold of the problem. So, um, Planted Tanks, I appreciate the question. Questions like this are probably the most asked, not just in live streams, but emails and on social media and stuff. Um, so I thought it was worth digging in and, and just talking about the process a little bit. Um, now, I, I want to clarify one thing. I, I mentioned that if you're trying a treatment in a tank, 
like a hospital tank and it's not working, they maybe just want to start with fresh water, right? Here's what I mean by fresh water. So when you're putting water into a hospital tank to use, you're not taking water from the aquarium, the community tank or the established tank, because that's full of little microorganisms that are going to be killed off by the treatments. What you want to do is whatever your water source is, let's say it's from your tap, get however much of that you need, put it in the tank, let the airstone bubble for eight to 12 to, if you can, 24 hours would be great. Put in whatever you need to control your chlorine or chloramine and then put the salt in it, let it dissolve completely. Probably dissolve your medicines in there too and then add the fish, at least for the first medic medication. Um, you're, you're likely in a day or two to have to do 50% water change and then add another dose of the med, right? That's generally what the instructions are on a lot of these things. Um, 30 to 50%, something like that. But if, let's say you tried nitrofurazone and canamycin is just not working, and you're like, I gotta stop this because these are putting pressure on the fish's liver and kidneys and or kidneys, I, don't, I can't remember which one in that case. And um, so I'm gonna try something else because these are stressing the fish more and not helping. Then what you need to do is mix up enough water to fill the tank. Um, this is one way to do it. Let, it. let an air stone in there so it gasses off and stabilizes, put in your water treatments and stuff. Get the fish out, empty the tank out, fill it with the fresh water, put it in. But that's one way to be sure that all the medicines are out. If you can't do carbon filtration or you're just not confident that you have a better way to do it. So, but when I say we're using fresh, clean water for our hospital tanks or for treating our fish, I'm not saying you open the tap, fill the tank, put in your dechlor and put the fish in. We let the water stabilize by gassing it off and letting it age a bit before we put it in there. So just, just want to put that out there. Um, so no one throws a fish into a freshly filled tank with fresh water from the tap. All right. So that's a, might be more of an answer than you wanted, but I think it's the honest answer. I'm, I'm constantly, I guess, I guess dismayed is the word. I don't know what the word is, but when I, when I, I follow some Facebook groups and things, I rarely comment in them um, just because uh, time and I don't want to get into any <laughs> Facebook brawls. I don't need that in my life, but I follow a few and over and over and over, we'll get the question of this is happening to my fish. What's the problem? And much to my and, and people are trying to help, right? And so you'll get all these answers like, oh, it's this, do this. And I'm like, when I read those, I'm like, you didn't even see a picture of the fish. Like a veterinarian couldn't diagnose that from that description. Or maybe you did see a picture. I know a veterinarian couldn't diagnose it from that picture. You know, so often I feel like what we're looking for is I need something to do to help my fish. We're looking for a quick answer so that we can help our fish. Cause that's what will make us feel better. And we hope make the fish feel better. But I don't think those are honest answers. I think it's very rare that the presentation of a, a disease or a, a problem is 
clear and decisive enough that we actually know what we're dealing with because we're not veterinarians and we don't have the equipment to get to that diagnosis. So, um, so I think the answer I gave you, even though it's long and involved and probably too nerdy for most people is the honest answer um, for almost all of those queries. New Mexico Aquatics. Each time you post a job opportunity, ask my wife, do you want to move to Wyoming? But she says, it sounds cold. Not today. <laughs> but I told her about your record heat. Yes, little Bobby. Yeah. Have her come out now and she'll be like, oh, that ain't cold. <laughs> now, a couple of weeks ago, yeah, it was cold. It's a, yeah, it's mountain weather. Mountain weather. <laughs> Post seaweed. Ronan is doing fine. Loves his chola. All right. I'm glad to hear it. That's awesome. Ronan it is. <laughs> Bunny Viper threw down $4.99 and I missed it. I'm sorry, Bunny Viper. Hello, Dan. Hope all is well. It is so well. I'm about to buy 125 gallon. Yes. That's what I have behind me. Such a good size tank. Six feet. You can do so much with it, but I'm feeling lost about the stand and the filter. What size tank would I use for the sump? So Bunny Viper, I'm going to confess something here. I don't hardly ever use sumps. It's, just, it's been over a decade since I've used a sump. So I'm not going to be able to tell you about how to size the sump. There's lots of people in here that do use sumps. So could you guys let Bunny Viper know what's worked for you? For 125 gallon, I mean, I'm thinking like a 30 gallon would be great, but that's just off the cuff without having done it for forever. Um, I use an FX5, which is the precursor to the FS6, FX6. Um, that's working great for this tank, if that gives you any idea. And this tank has been stable and just rocking and rolling for for a long time. It's it's a it's a good system. I'm not saying do that instead of a sump. I'm just telling you what I'm using. Um, <clears throat> man, and you paid $4.99 and that's the best I can do for you. So for the stand, like if you can't find a pre-built one, and if you're handy, like I, I built this stand. This is just a basically a dadoed out support over here. I don't know if you can see it, but this is a four by four. It's dadoed out enough, notched out, so that this piece of lumber can sit across it and be stable. Um, if you're handy, it's actually not too difficult to build a stand. Um, I would look at, I, I've got some stand building, um, racks really building videos. Um, and I got my idea for it from Ted Judy's videos, uh, but they've been very stable for me. The one thing I would change is right now, this is a two by four. I would make that a two by six, <laughs> but all the weight is right there on the corners. And so it's, you know, it's, it's fine, but, um, I'd make that a two by six next time I did it. Um, It, kind of the dado notched out stands are the ones that have worked best for me over the years. So that'd be my suggestion. Or if you have a friend that's handy, if you're not, I don't know. Um, they might be able to build something for you. It's a lot of weight though. So if you can find a prefabbed one that's guaranteed, that might be a good idea. Um, 
And I feel like I failed you. That's not a great answer, but that's what I got. Wichita Falls Fishkeeper throwing down five bucks, and I don't see a question or comment, but thanks for the moolah. And Bunny Viper throwing down another $4.99. Thanks so much. I can't see, Bunny Viper, what your question or comment is if you have one, but I'll get to it later. It's just I can't stroll that stroll. <laughs> I can't stroll that far down the lane. I can't scroll that far. So hopefully it'll pop up in a bit and I can see it. <clears throat> John's Fish Room. Hi, just wanted to say all the spotted Congo puffers, little hate machines arrived alive and well and hungry. Thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome, John. I'm glad they did. And I hope you enjoy them. They're so much fun. Um, for those that have been wanting that fish, I have some more. Here's kind of my strategy with those is when I sell them. So I got 30 and I've sold uh, 10 of them. Um, plus gave one away. Um, so I'm down to, wh what is that? Oh, math is hard. <laughs> 19. <laughs> so um, what I generally do with fish like that is I list, I have 30, but I only list 10, right? And when I sell them, I, I sell the 10 best, like the fattest, the chunkiest, the most dominant sell those off and that gives the next 10 a batch to become a, a chance to become dominant and fat and chunky so in another few days i'll list the next 10 when those sell off i'll give the next 10 or whatever's left nine a chance to chow down i mean they're all chowing down but when you remove the dominant ones in the next group becomes dominant, you'll just see a big difference. So I give everyone a chance to become dominant and totally stress-free and all that before I sell them off. So that's kind of the process. For those that are still waiting for those, I'll have more for sale in a few days or a week or so. Um, once the next group has clearly moved up the ranks um, and, and, and become the dominant part of the hierarchy. And the, the reason I do that is when I sell a fish like that, I want to make sure I sell it when it's fully functional. So they naturally live in a hierarchy. And I don't think that the fish that aren't the dominant fish in a hierarchy of that species at this age are like super stressed or anything like that, or I wouldn't keep them together like that. But the ones that do rise to dominance are a, a different level of like just robustness. So I like to get them there make sure they're there for a little while before I sell them off because that's a fish that I would just, it, it would be horrible if I sold those to someone 200 bucks a piece. A lot of people have been looking for, I don't know, decades to find them. They're hard to get. Um, I feel horrible if I sent those off and they weren't just in, you know, pristine tip top condition. So just be patient with me. The reason I'm doing it is so that in the end they'll thrive better for you. That's, that's the intention. So, I know lots of folks are waiting. Orange cones, the African clippers remind me of my pesky headstanders. Yeah, so they do. They, yeah, they look a lot like a headstander, just one that doesn't swim um, vertically. <laughs> sure, I can see that. It looks similar. What they remind me of is like a drape fin barb without the, the drape fin. So this one, uh, Erichthys crenichoides. Yeah. This is uh, the drape fin barb. 
and they have a similar kind of body shape and coloration until they display and they get that fin that's just out of this world and get that those color hues. But yeah, that and that, that's kind of what they remind me of. In fact, there's another Erichthys. Um, is it Parva or Parvas? I'm going to go with this one. Yeah, they remind me a lot of, of, of these guys. Anyway, they're cool fish. I hope someone gets them and, and loves them. I, I know they're not going to be for everyone because they're not like a bright rainbow of neon color, but but they're really unique and hard to find. So hopefully they'll they'll make someone happy. Mike Monji, if you're listening, I've got a barb for you, my friend. <laughs> Fishaholic, hello, and the fish fam, right back at you. Good to see you. Cancer train, but it jumped. Hang on, cancer train. Let me see if I can. Cancer train, I cannot see your your comments, so if you would leave it again, I'll try my best to get to it. Sorry, chat jumped way far on me. I'm curious. I, I'm going to have to go back and read the comments and stuff. I mean, I went off on, like, treating fish and, and problem-solving that for quite a long time it's already getting close to eight o'clock 7:59 here uh so I, i'm curious if this was the right if a live stream is the right place for like a 15 minute long talk about something i feel like it is but i'll be interested to see all those comments when i if i get a chance to watch the replay i haven't been able to for quite a while um, but I like to when I can, because it gives me, when I'm doing this, I, I don't actually have time to like read all the questions and comments and all the banter and stuff. All I see is the highlighted stuff. And I miss a lot of those because there's not time to get to all of them. So hopefully I can look at that and see if uh, in the future, Dan, maybe keep it to two minutes. I, I don't know. Anyway, Fishaholic, 40 breeder, currently has three white cloud minnows making a cold water tank, looking for a variety tank mates. Bottom, mid, and top dwellers, please and thank you. Uh, I'm fishaholic, man. White cloud minnows can go with just about anything. So the world's your oyster there. As long as it's appropriately sized and peaceful, they'll go fine. But one of my favorite bottom dwellers, there's a couple. Um, I really like orange throat darters. I've bred these guys. I've raised them. They're fantastic. This is like North America's answer to uh, to gobies, to freshwater gobies. We don't have like the, you know, rhinogobius and stuff like that. But we have these, and they are stunning. I mean, they really are beautiful, beautiful fish. Oh, this is great. So this is a male. This is a female. Male in spawning dress. Actually, maybe not. Even when they're not in spawning dress, some populations can still be quite colorful. Great bottom dwelling fish. Um, peaceful. I mean, they'll they'll nicker among themselves, right? They uh, they have a hierarchy and stuff, but just like just like a goby or a hillstream loach or something like that. So, but not vicious. And then the rainbow darter is another one. Rainbow throat darter? No, rainbow darter. Similar. Really neat fish. Difference is, I believe these are a cave spawner, and these guys are an injector. So these actually inject their eggs down into the gravel and sand. Whereas, if I remember right, 
the rainbow darters wanted a flat rock that they would go in and kind of like a cave, like a pleco almost, and lay in there. Well, it's been a, correct me if I'm wrong on that. I, I remember the orange throat darters for sure were injectors. If someone here has read the rainbow darter, uh, let me know if I'm right about them being a cave spawner. Um, so that's something to look for on the bottom, all kinds of darters. Swamp darters are great. They don't need it as cold. Um, let's see here. What else? Mad Tom catfish might be for a more advanced aquarist, but cool bottom dwellers, neat little small catfish that are native to the United States. So I'm kind of going United States native. Oh, I'm not showing this. I'm kind of going United States native on you here, but there's also a lot of stuff from like Uruguay that would do well um, from China, from other temperate climates. So one of the ones from Uruguay is Karasiti Marakavai. This is my favorite of the hummingbird type darter tetras, these guys. Now, these pictures are not doing them justice, but this is kind of what they look like. They're kind of like a hummingbird tetra or a darter tetra. They can take it pretty cold. I've had them down to 45 degrees, no problem. And in Uruguay, where they come from, they can be under ice sometimes. Not for great lengths of the year, but it can happen. Um, what, it, what this isn't showing well is their fins have a lot of orange on them which I'm not seeing in any of these pictures. Here, here you go. That's giving you an inkling, I guess, of the orange and black pattern. Now, not all Kerasidium can take it cold, though. Um, so the Kerasidium rakavai out of Uruguay is one that can. And I think those would be okay with white clouds. Um, for top to always look at your native killifish. These are fundalis is the genus of most of these. There's several of them that would be, wouldn't hurt a white cloud. Some of them would get big enough that they might be able to eat a white cloud, but is this no, where's no Tatus? Um, oh, this would do it. I don't know. I've never kept this species, but that's definitely a top fish right there. Just looking at its shape. I, I think the one I'm looking for is no Tatus. Yeah. Okay. So in, by the way, it's been so long since I've looked into these that I don't know their their legality or if any regulations have been passed or any of that. So check on all that first. But if Jonah's Aquarium has them, which it looks like they do here, then um, then they're probably legal or to collect and sell or they wouldn't be doing it. But these are awesome little little top minnow. So this is like North America's answer to the Epiplates and Aplicylus species of killifish. Neat little top dwelling, almost like little pike-like minnows. Uh, another one that might be worth looking at is Leptolucania omata. And I'm sorry, but a lot of these fish don't have common names. So this is another top dwelling little, little, little teeny, teeny, tiny killifish. Um, I'm not sure how low they can go, so do some research. But um, cute little guys. And I've never kept them. Look, have I? Maybe I have. I don't remember their exact requirements, but I know they're a small killifish native to the United States, can take it cooler. Um, I would assume they could take it down um, pretty cold, but they're more from like 
I think if I remember right, like Florida, Georgia, the, those kinds of southern states where it's warmer. So they might not like it being super cold or for a super long time. Um, anyway, I hope those get your juices flowing. Um, check out Nanfa. So this is nanfa.org. North American Native Fish Association has tons of articles. If you go here, let's list this. I, I've geeked out for weeks on here, once upon a time. Um, you can find all kinds of articles and information about all kinds of native fish, many of which make very good aquarium fishes. So check them out. Um, what do Wesley Wong has in? There's a gentleman named Wes um, down in Los Angeles that imports from China frequently, and a lot of the fish he gets in would do fine. Um, I think he's rare fish on Instagram. Let me look. <laughs> Hang on. Let me see if I can find Wesley here. Um, I, I'm sorry. I yeah, I can't. I can't quickly, and I've probably got to move on to the next question. But hopefully, that's enough to get you going, Tankaholic. Is that Gile or Gile? I'm thinking of starting an aquarium maintenance business for the summer. Do you have any advice on things I should be conscious of and look out for when I start to work on people's tanks? So I did that once upon a time. Um, well, if you're just doing the maintenance business for the summer, are you thinking that this is a temporary venture? Because that's an issue. No one's going to want to... Um, you know, it wouldn't be good to set up a tank for someone and become their maintenance person and stuff and then be like, when school starts or the fall comes or whatever, be like, hey, summer's over, peace out, right? That puts them in a bind. That would be a disservice to the fish and, and all that. So let's say that you meant you're going to start it this summer, not like it's only for the summer. In that case, the first thing I think I would do is make a size requirement, I would only keep and maintain large aquariums. They're more stable. There's lots of benefits to it. I wouldn't try to keep it like a 10 gallon or maybe even a 55 gallon, a 120 gallon, 125 gallon like that. Something like that might be my minimum. That does two things. It makes it easier. And I don't know what area you're in. I don't know how many people keep large tanks in your area, but I'm and giving you an ideal scenario here. Maybe not a real one, but something that I would look for. Um, makes the tanks easier to maintain and keep. And generally, people with large tanks have the financial resources to actually pay and keep someone maintaining it well. They put a lot of money into this thing. It's a big tank. That's not cheap. And uh, so they probably have enough money to actually keep paying you. And when something needs to be fixed or replaced, actually pay for it, actually get quality fish, things like that. So um, I think it's, it's difficult to do tank maintenance well on a budget. So look for large tanks. And with that or independent of that, look for um, folks that are willing to make the financial commitment. The other thing is I wouldn't sell myself cheap. Like I would rather do one tank for a hundred dollars a month. I, I'm just making that up for easy math. Um, I, I don't know what the rates would be in your town or whatever. Then do 10 tanks for 10 bucks a month. Right. So uh, work out those finances, 
and, and look for people that are willing to make a financial commitment. And the other thing I would do is I would decide what you need to charge to stay in business. And then I would charge 50% more than that just to weed out clients that are going to hem and haw at every little expense to maintain versus those that are going to, when you got to buy them a new Fluval FX6 or whatever, are going to be like, okay, here you go. Right. So those are a couple of things to think about. Swamp Thing, I'm picturing a new Broadway production, a young, rugged fishmonger from mountain time through full-throated galazos and selling fish changes an industry and changes the world. That's right. Three times the current number of aquariums equals world peace. <laughs> I like it, Swamp Thing. <laughs> Toad Tamer, do you have any advice on setting up a fish room for breeding rainbows, tetras, and dwarf cichlids? Yes. Couple things. Are you trying to breed for profit? Like, are you trying to produce quantity? I'm going to assume no. Um, if you were, this would be totally different. But I'm going to assume not. I'm going to assume you want to breed them as a hobbyist, maybe get enough to share with other hobbyists, but it doesn't have to like generate income. It's still for enjoyment. And that's totally different than setting up for profit. Um, so I'm going to assume that's the case. You're a hobbyist that wants to breed fish that you like and distribute them to other hobbyists and get enough fish produced to do that. Maybe you have new species or rare species and you're like, I want to get these established and send each species out to like, I don't know, 20, 50 different hobbyists, um, things like that. So that's what I'm talking about here. The first thing I would do is I wouldn't plan. I would look at the room, <laughs> right? And get a program that allows you to sketch on it. So you can sketch out lots of different floor plans and layouts to really figure out how to lay things out so the space is actually optimized. I would plan a whole lot. I would go visit as many fish rooms as I could, as many different setups as I could to get ideas. Watch as many videos on building a fish room as I could, right? Okay. Then, once I've got kind of a general plan, I would stop thinking about the aquariums and start thinking about the support. What kind of filtration do you need? What kind of, if do you have a central heat? You know, are you using a hot water heater that's on demand? Are you using like an HRV to keep the air nice? Please do that. Heat retention ventilator all the way. Um, some deal with humidity too if you live in a humid climate. So what's going to support the fish room? It, it, let's prioritize that. What's the ideal fish room for you? Is it a flow through system uh, that's automatic water changes and all that? If so, where does all that equipment go? I would put that in before I even put tanks in the room on paper. Once, once, you've, once you've done a few layouts, right? And you're ready to like be like, okay, now this one's for real. Then I'd look at live food. Where are you going to produce your live food? Um, how are you going to keep it? Do you need a wine fridge for white worms? Do you need a refrigerator to keep brine shrimp? Um, fresh, newly hatched brine shrimp and black worms fresh, things like that. Um, do you need some shelving space so you can grow rotifers or infusoria or paramecium or microworms or whatever, right? If, if breeding's the goal, 
live foods are going to be a huge help to that. Okay. So I, I get all that in. Then how are you going to work in this room? What's the workflow? Where are you going to keep your, I don't know, your big garbage can to psych, to, to age water in? Where are you going to keep all your nets? Where are you going to keep your hosing and your Python or whatever you're doing, right? All that. Then once I've made it easy on myself to work in there and I have the right support system to keep the fish going and feed them well, then I would say, okay, now where do the tanks go? How many of each size can I get? And with that, you need a variety of sizes. You're going to want small tanks, maybe five and a half gallons um, for pairing or, or raising fry once they get to eating brine shrimp size, right? You're gonna want a lot of like little plastic shoe boxes for um, just hatching eggs and keeping fry until they're free swimming or giving them their first few meals until they're big enough to go into a place with flowing filtration. Um, and then you'll need tanks. And what I would suggest is have enough tanks of an appropriate size to condition breeders separately. So here's the males, here's the females. I'm keeping them separate, right? That'll condition the females well, well, get them full of eggs. Then you can take those out, maybe put them in the five and a half gallon tanks. Like take 10 males, put them in 10 five and a half gallon tanks. Take the 10 females, add them to those tanks. You've got a pair in each tank or reverse trio or whatever's right for the species. That way you can have a lot of pairs going at once and you have the advantage of not trying to, if this is rainbows, let's see here. Rainbows, for example. Rainbows are generally continuous spawners, so they might lay a few eggs a day. How do you get a batch big enough to be worth like raising them all up? Do you really want to raise like eight baby rainbows at once, or would you rather start with like a hundred, right? So several pairs at once, condition them, put them in the spawning tanks. Um, now with rainbows, a five and a half gallon spawning tank isn't going to do it, but Put the sexes together in the larger tank, put a mop in there, and you'll get tons of eggs the first day or two. Easier to raise a big batch of fry than it is to raise just a few. Those are the kinds of things I'd be thinking about. Yeah, I think that's the process that my mind would go through if I was working on that. Huck, I'm having trouble finding many specifics on Pseudomugil luminatus care. Everything's to be too wide ranging for parameters. What do you find works best for them? What For parameters, um, temperature, mid-70s is just fine. Um, I, I would say for parameters is whatever your water naturally is. I'm thinking hardness and pH and all that. The, once, once they've been through import or whatever and been stabilized and are ready to go, they're, they're going to be fine in really hard alkaline water. They're going to be fine in really soft water. Um, they can take a wide range of parameters. If they're brand new, fresh imports, then you're taking a gamble no matter what you put them in. But once they stabilize, then they're really hardy. So I sold them to people with really soft acidic water. I sold them to people with super hard rock water, rock hard water, and they do fine in both. Um, and by the way, this is not a sales pitch saying, get them from me. Mine do fine in both. I'm just saying as a species, stable parameters, this is true for almost all fish, but luminatus, uh, stable parameters are more important than the proper parameters. So keep the temperature mid seventies to low eighties. I mid seventies would probably be better things. The warmer the temperature, the 
quick, more quickly things change in an aquarium because everyone's metabolism is quicker, right? The fishes, the bacteria, the protozoans, everyone's, right? So mid-70s would be great. Upper 70s, just fine. I've had them as high as 82, no problems. Well oxygenated, though, and clean water. <laughs> Not a lot of decaying organics in it. So um, that's what I would say. Whatever your parameters are naturally when your water stabilizes, use that. Keep the temperature right in there and just keep the water clean. No ammonia. They hate ammonia. No nitrite. Keep the nitrates under control. And I think you'll be fine if you keep it stable. Hasty 10, any luck getting Irubescu puffers in? They did not come. I ordered them. Um, I've ordered them many times. I thought I had a shot this last time, but they did not come. Supply is very low. Demand is super high. And I'll keep trying. Sorry, I wish I had better news. Planted Tanks, thank you so much. She's with three other Corys, but I did add five Cooley Loaches within the last three weeks. I have well water and RO. Okay. All right. Well, I hope it goes well for you. Whatever it is, Planted Tanks. Alicia AS. And by the way, three Corys really, they like to be in big groups. They're very gregarious. So if you have the room, like... I don't know how big your tank is, but a dozen is like a good starting point. I'm not saying you can't keep a group of six or, or even three if you need to, but they're going to love a dozen or more. They're, they're super social fish. Alicia Nias bought a group of Congo barbs at an LFS last year. No Latin name. Look like the clipper barbs spawned in an outdoor tub. Okay to send grow out pics to you to see if they look like your species. Yes, please do. Send them to dan at dancefish.com. That would be great. Yeah. Or post them at Get Gills, the Facebook. Uh, we have a Facebook group called Get Gills if you want to post them there. Then it won't just be me. It'll be other people as well that can chime in. But yeah, I'm happy to do that. All right. Wichita Falls, how's it going? Oh, there is a comment on there. That's funny. So look, I see it here, but this is, it won't show, it didn't show me here. So I wonder if Bunny Viper left another comment. <laughs> I'll, I'll hopefully get to it eventually here. <laughs> uh, good to see you, Wichita, by the way. It's going great. Thanks. Bunny Viper, there is a comment. Would you mind sharing what you do for 125 gallon details would be great i'll take notes king of diy makes a filter from a five gallon bucket thank you so i use an fx5 and fx6 is pretty much the same thing um in the corner here is a weir so the back half of that corner about eight inches this way and eight inches back six inches back maybe is solid black plastic that goes to the top and so the water goes through and overflows down into that and that's stuff full of filter floss that takes care of all the little fines in the water and after that it goes to the fx6 from there it comes in through sorry i just scared the archer fish with pointing um from there it goes to this which is another weir there's nothing in it just the water is pumped there and out so water goes from that weir through the tank down that weir through filter floss and into an FX6 that you can't see because it's behind the stand here. Then the other thing I do, I was doing it poorly, but the other thing I do is 
I have an air stone in there to break surface tension. And this here is a sponge filter with a power head on it. Um, basically, I don't need that sponge filter. I'm just using that there so the sand doesn't get sucked up into the power head. All I want is the power head blowing water across the bottom. So that helps the plants, but it also kicks up all of the uh, mulm and stuff off the sand and blows it this way so it ends up in this weir here. So that's the, that's the only function of this power head. Just move water across the bottom this way so it ends up in that weir and into that filter floss. So that's the system. It's pretty easy. Um, on top, I just have two shop lights, <laughs> like <laughs> an FX, uh, not an FX, a Fluval uh, Planted Plus might show the fish's colors off a lot better, but but I'm cheap. <laughs> I do wonder sometimes though, like what would this look like with a couple Planted Pluses on it? So that's that's how I do this tank. I've never tried the five gallon bucket. Um, it might work just fine. I don't know. Well, anyway, I hope that's helpful, Bunny Viper. I, again, I'm sorry I couldn't speak much about the sump. I just don't have that much recent, it's been forever. I don't have a lot of memory about sumps. Mr. B's CPDs rolls right off the tongue. I have a 60 half inch Bolivian ramps. Oh, you have 60 half inch Bolivian ramps in a 10 gallon that has cyanobacteria. bacteria. How can I move them to a larger tank without moving the bacteria with them? I don't know if you can, but I don't know if that's your issue. So I'm pretty darn sure that every aquarium I have has cyanobacteria in it. However, I usually never see it. I'm pretty sure every aquarium you have, unless it's a brand new setup, has cyanobacteria in it. So it's not a question of keeping it out and not introducing it. It's already there, has been my experience. I'll go for a year with no cyanobacteria in my fish room, and then suddenly, one day, one tank will get some in, and it'll just like cyanobacteria over the course of a few days just kind of starts growing in there but the other tanks are just fine so i take care of that tank and we're fine and then a few months later another tank might start getting cyanobacteria in it so it's already there it's just a question of is there a balance in the tank does something happen so that for some reason the cyanobacteria takes hold and just explodes it just happens every now and then but i don't think you can prevent it from getting in your tanks if you have a well-established tank, it's probably already there. That being said, I'm not an expert on cyano. I'm just going off what I've observed is that I've got it in every tank. It's just usually inactive. <laughs> Thank goodness. And, and by the way, to take care of it, the best way I've found is manual removal and kill the lights. That seems to work. I mean, you can use the antibiotics too, but move all of it out you can first because you don't want to kill all that cyanobacteria and just have it decaying in the tank. That would be a big problem. RB, Animals Rescue, what size tank for the African Clipper? Um, that's a great question. I think 
I think they could be okay in a three-foot tank, but I probably wouldn't put them in anything less than a four-foot tank. The ones I have now are the biggest ones, maybe two and a half inches. It would be just fine, I think, in a three-foot tank. If they truly get to three and a half inches, that might start getting cramped. They're an active swimmer. They're like a ball of shark or an iridescent shark or something like that, but they're, they're active. So I'm going to go with a four foot tank. I could, I could imagine having a school of like a dozen full grown three and a half inchers in a four foot tank with other community fish and everyone being just fine in, in that size. That's a good question. I, I should have brought that up before, uh, during the giveaway talk. Punchy Banks, Fluffy Boyle. That is a great username. Oh, Fluffy Boy. Is this Enrique? What is his name? Ah, one of my favorite comedians. I forget his name. Fluffy. Retype your question, but put Dance Fish to highlight it. Yes. Indeed, Fluffy. But I'm assuming, Fluffy, that you're new and didn't know that. So I see your comment here. I scroll up to find it. How many gallons on a minimum for three to four coolie loaches? Like five and a half. I don't have any currently, but want to keep them. Would a 20 tall be okay? More than okay. If you have any, are they easy to keep? Very easy. Thanks for your response to this. Yeah, coolie loaches are super easy. Um, they eat anything. They're not aggressive. Anything on the bottom... And they need a little time, you know, they need to graze at it and get to it. But yeah, they're good. The, the biggest issue you have with them, I think, is other fish, like an angelfish could slurp one up no problem. So I think oftentimes people get them and um, don't realize their other fish can eat them since they're so long and skinny. But they're great. And, you know, people say that they get them and they, they never see them again. That's not been my experience. When I drop food in the tank, boom, they come out. Now, granted, I keep them in large groups, so maybe they're a little more comfortable or cue off each other's feeding behavior to all come out kind of in mass. But um, yeah, for me, they've been great fish. David Foster, have you ever had orange-throated darters in stock? I've always wanted to keep them. No, I got mine from Stan Sung. Um, he's just a, a friend of mine. Um, if you want to follow Stan... I think his Instagram is ultimate fish dream on Insta. Um, he used to take photos for like tropical fish magazine, tropical fish hobbies magazine and stuff. So he's got some beautiful photos. It's worth following. It's, it's a great channel. Um, and he got his from a friend that collected them. I believe in Missouri was the population. And that's why I got them because that's a more Southern population. They can take warmer temperatures, which is closer to what we have in aquariums. Um, far northern populations might need it cooler. And so they worked out great for me, but I've, I've never, okay. I should, I bred them. I raised a whole bunch and sold them. Uh, but that was, geez, it's been 10 years since I've done that. So I don't have any in stock and in short of like breeding them myself and selling them. I don't think I'll ever have them in stock because I don't live somewhere. I can just go collect them. You might try Saks uh, Aquaculture or Jonah's Aquarium. Those are my two best ideas. Um, Cancer Drain, 110-gallon stock tank in enclosed patio with white clouds. That sounds fun. Just found fry today. I bet you did. What bottom dweller, orange laser quarries, bristlenose plecos, or hillstream loaches? Zone 6B, if that matters. Um, I don't know what zone 6B is. Planting zone... 
zone 6B. Let's see, where are you at? Oh, okay. So, like Tennessee, Kentucky, that, that kind of mid... Not super hot, not super cold. Kind of in the middle zone there. I mean, I would go with albino bristle nose because I think you'll see them because they're bright gold. I don't think you'll see hillstream loaches once you put them in. I don't think you'll see the quarries once you put them in. Maybe albino aeneas quarries, but even the laser quarries, I don't think you're going to see much. They had the orange laser on them, but they're mostly brown, right? They're going to blend in. So that's my thought. What is What color would really pop? Albino bristlenose, albino uh, aeneas quarries, things of that nature is what I would go with. Yeah, just, cook, just so I could have a chance of seeing them in a big pond like that. Raphael Swit just scored reverse trio beta alba marginata, one of my favorites. Great little mouth brooding wild type beta. Fantastic little fish, yes. They often get still and nearly vertical position. Is this typical? Also, I haven't been eating much, but look healthy. So if they if you just got them, I would definitely keep trying to feed them. But that's a fish that can take a week or two to settle in. Once they do, they'll come up and beg for food and all that. That's been my experience. Other people say they hide all the time, but my experience is once they've been there for a couple of weeks, they'll come out and beg for food and all that jazz. Um, it's probably going to help to have a few dither fish in there for them. Something like Harlequin rasboras would be great. Something that isn't, that's peaceful and not like just vicious to the food, right? I kept them with uh, Aplicylus dei, which worked well because those kind of stayed up at the top. It's a surface one killifish. And then the bettas could eat the food that fell down to the bottom. Uh, that worked great. Often, so when I raise chinoides and alba marginata and all those myself, I can get them eating flake foods and pellets without any problem. However, when I, if they're wild or bred and raised overseas, I found that they need live and frozen. So it can be difficult to get adults that came in from the wild or from a, a aquarium breeding facility overseas to eat anything but wild and frozen. So if they're not eating well, it might be the food you're feeding. Alexandria Rodriguez, advice, the epiplati species of Cayo, the first meal I got must have jumped out. That does happen frequently with those species. Oh. Beta alba marginata as well. Those will jump. Be careful. Couldn't find the body. And it seems like the first female goes nuts and darts around the tank hitting the glass. Oh, okay. So they can do that. But usually that's not long term. That's like, I just got in there and now I'm freaking out. If it, So I would turn off the lights, first of all. Make sure you have plenty of floating... Um, cover in there. Do you have any water sprite or um, frog bit or, or something in there with long dangling roots? It doesn't have to be the entire top of the aquarium, but give them like a quarter of the aquarium. 25% of the top is just covered with floating plants. If you don't have floating plants, you can get Easter grass, it, like plastic shredded Easter grass you would use for Easter baskets and float that in there. Um, it, that, that might help, but if it's like just a bare tank, they might freak out. If it's a uh, bright light, they might freak out. So I turn off the light and give them some cover, make sure there's a tight fitting lid and just let them chill for a couple days. The, the, they're fat and sassy. Those are going to be fine without eating or anything for, for a while. Um, 
the ones I just sent you. So that's what my advice would be to start. That'll help. If, if you can throw a few dither fish in there, that could be helpful as well. But I'm a man, I don't know what the tank is, but if it's like a bare bottom tank and you have a bright light on there and there's not a lot of cover in there, then that light bouncing off will really, really freak them out. So you might be here being like, it's not like that at all. It's this beautiful planted, you know, sand bottom tank. In which case I would just turn off the light and let them chill for a couple days. Fishaholic thinks I will. Got a couple more minutes here. We're going to do the drawing. We're at 175. Let's do the drawing here so I don't get way over time. So this is for some uh, African clipper barbs. Neat little barb. Well, three, three and a half inch barb. And the winner is Kevin V. Kevin, congratulations. If you are here, please leave a comment. Let us know that you're here. You have about two minutes to do that to claim your winnings. If you haven't done that, by the time two minutes goes by, we'll draw someone else. So let us know you're here. And while you're doing that, I'm going to answer Robert Virgin's question. Good info on fish room layout and design. A good topic for a separate video. Thanks for that. Hey, you're welcome. Yeah. And I have covered that in some different videos and other live streams as well. I mean, heck, I recorded the entire build of the fish room down here and the annex as well. So there's a lot of, if you're hankering for <laughs> a DIY, a, a video that shows a DIY project, I got a couple for you. Buddy Viper, thank you so very, very much. We all sure do appreciate your help and kindness. You're welcome. I, I feel like I didn't help you as much as I wanted to, but I don't know that much about sumps. So you're Kevin V. You've got a a little less than a minute more to let us know you are here before we draw someone else. Orange cones for free Dan's warehouse tour. I'll loan you some plant lights to take pics with. <laughs> yeah, I know. We we actually have we we bought some some good lights just for Chris. So you might have noticed in the last week or so that the pictures are getting better because Chris has a lot better lighting to work with. Um, so from here on forward, we should be a little better. But yeah, I hear you. Instead of my shop lights. I mean, this tank still has shop lights on it. They're just, we just use them when we specifically go to a tank to take pictures. Bill Coleman, I've observed Hillstream loaches love to eat non-toxic cyanobacteria. Cool, I didn't know that. I also didn't know that there was any cyanobacteria that was non-toxic. How, how would you tell the difference? I don't know that. But cool to know. All right. Kevin V is here. All right, Kevin V. Congratulations. Oh, I wasn't showing that the whole time. Sorry. I meant to be showing that. Um, congratulations. If you send me an email, dan at dancefish.com with your first name and last name and your mailing address, then I will send those out to you next week. Let's plan on Tuesday of next week for delivery Wednesday. If that doesn't work, if I get like super busy with orders, then I might email you and be like, dude, I'm swamped. I'll send them out Thursday or something like that. But for now, let's plan on that. Unless you hear differently from me. Um, I got, I have three minutes of time for one 
more right there it is gabriel iglesias is the fluffy comedian thank you i want to say enrique iglesias but that's the singer and like i, I couldn't my mind wouldn't like get off that because i'm on camera and everything's different in your head when you're on camera but yes gabriel iglesias hot and fluffy <laughs> I'm not fat. I'm fluffy. <laughs> his, his first comedy special. Oh, just cracked me up so hard. That was hilarious. From there, it kind of went downhill. But that first one, still a keeper. <laughs> Mountaintop puffer keeper. I have a two-year-old coolie loach colony in a 50-gallon. Actual type of coolie is a guess. Oh, yeah. As always, one large female is pinky finger thick. Are your giant coolie loaches a species that get that large? So... I don't know because I haven't kept them long enough. They are listed as what my supplier told me they were. That's all I'm going on. Now, this supplier isn't your typical supplier. Um, he actually cares about correctly labeling his fish. He cares about keeping strains and locations of different rainbow fish and other things like that pure. <coughs> excuse me he often goes out and actually collects the fish himself he's uh, he's been published many times in amazonas magazine he's an actual expert so um so when he tells me the species i go with it because i trust him until some more compelling evidence comes along in my experience usually he's right very occasionally he's wrong and i'm talking about fish id in general so as far as I know, according to him, these are the semisincta, pangeo semisincta. They, um, they have the typical banding pattern that we all think of when we think of a coolie loach. And they're going to get, what was it, around four inches, something like that. So if he's right, and that's what I'm going off, then yes, they should get nice and be true giant, giant coolie loaches, right? But that's all I'm going off of. All right, it is 8.30, so we need to cut it here. I did hear a rumor, or Lumpy Dog! Holy cow, Jeff, it's great to see you. It has been a day, my friend. I'm glad you're here. Lumpy Dog, just good to see you. It has been forever. <laughs> The better part of Valor is discretion. <laughs> Sometimes the better part of Valor is running away. <laughs> I learned that from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Anyway, good to see you, Lumpy Dog. Um, we're going to close out here. I want to start by thanking my mods for all they do. Appreciate you. Just tons and tons. Thanks so much. I want to thank everyone that's, that left money on the table. Bunny Viper in Wichita Falls, Fish Keeper. Thanks for the super chats. Always appreciated. Never required. But it's cool when money falls out of your computer. Um, everyone that left a question or comment, thank you for you know making this lively. I hope I was able to add some value. I try my best. Um, hail the Lurker Nation. Everyone watching on the replay, I get it. Hopefully one day you can be here live sometime and interact with us. But life is busy, I understand. And uh, with that, I'm going to sign off. We'll be back next Wednesday, same bat time, same bat channel. Until then, I sincerely hope everyone has a great week. Bye-bye.